You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon we are going to focus on the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And so let's turn first to the Heidelberg Catechism, to Lord's Day 51, where the church gives an explanation of this fifth request of the Lord's Prayer. What is the fifth petition? Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. So far, the Catechism. Let's go now to Scripture, of which our Catechism is a mere echo. Turning this afternoon, first of all, to Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you who are upright in heart. So far from the Old Testament, let's turn now to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21 and continuing to verse 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. As already mentioned, the focus of the sermon this afternoon will be on the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Brothers and sisters, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things about being a Christian is that we can never separate our relationship with God from our relationship to our neighbors. How we are connected to God or how we are not connected to God inevitably shows up in how we are connected to each other. How we understand God to be dealing with us is very much evident in how we deal with one another. The Apostle John writes about this link between our faith in God and our relationship with our neighbor in various places in his first letter. For example, in 1 John 4, in verse 20, we read, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And so what we think of the invisible God and how we have come to experience the grace of the invisible God, or perhaps how we have not yet experienced the grace of the invisible God, inevitably reveals itself in our mutual relationships, in our relationships within the church, within the schools, within our workplace, within our families, within our marriages, all the relationships we have with people, including even our enemies, are touched in profound ways by how we understand God and how we have or have not experienced the riches of His grace. Also this afternoon, as we consider the fifth request of the Lord's Prayer, we can see how our relationship with God is tightly woven together with our relationship with our neighbors. So much is this the case, in fact, that in Matthew 6, where our Lord Jesus Christ's prayer is first recorded, the fifth petition is the only one that is singled out for special emphasis by our Lord Jesus. If you go to Matthew 6 in your Bibles, you find the Lord's Prayer beginning at verse 9, and it's all very familiar. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray, and then follows the Lord's Prayer. And right after we get to the end of the Lord's Prayer, that that fifth petition is especially singled out and is emphasized by the Lord Jesus. In verse 14 of chapter 6 of Matthew, we read, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so this afternoon, we want to focus on that, that profound link in our experience of God and our relationships with our neighbor. 
I would like to bring God's Word with a theme. Christ teaches His people to pray that God would cancel their deaths. And we'll consider, first of all, just how bold this petition really is. And secondly, we'll look at the stipulation that comes with this petition. First then, the boldness of this request that Jesus teaches us to bring before our Father as often as we pray to Him. Now, sometimes the wording is a little bit confusing when it comes to the fifth petition. And when you try to say the Lord's Prayer together, it's important to decide beforehand what exact wording you'll use, otherwise it'll sound somewhat chaotic. Some people say, forgive us our trespasses. Some people say, forgive us our sins. While other people say, forgive us our debts. And for our purposes this afternoon, we'll stick with the latter because that's the word that Jesus uses in the the version of Matthew chapter 6. Now, when we pause to reflect on that word debt, we right away realize that this is a, a term with commercial overtones. A debt is something we owe. We owe it to a bank. We owe it to a friend. We owe it to some other institution. But besides owing money, we could owe other things to people and institutions. We could owe service. We could owe some of our time. We could owe our friendship to someone. We could owe love to someone. For example, if we're married to someone, then we owe love to that person. Sometimes we even speak of owing someone a favor. And so what kind of debt is the Lord Jesus really talking about here in the fifth request of the Lord's Prayer? Well, I think if if we have to summarize it in one word, the debt that we owe to God, brothers and sisters, is that of obedience. We owe obedience to God. God is our Creator. God is our Redeemer. And as our Creator, Redeemer God, He has every right and authority to command us. And because He has the right to command us, we owe Him the duty of obedience. We obey Him as our Creator who has given us life. And we obey Him as our Savior in Christ Jesus who has restored our lives. Well, then, when we don't obey God, when we don't trust Him, when we don't love Him, when we therefore don't obey Him, when we instead live our lives as we please, doing just whatever comes naturally to us in our fallenness, then we come into a situation of being in debt to God. And this afternoon, brothers and sisters, I want to reflect with you just for a moment on on how great that debt is, really, that we owe to God. You know, we, we, we're very familiar with the words of the Lord's Prayer and we frequently pray it at least once a day and, and the words can just roll off of our tongues without the engagement of our heart and mind. And so just pause with me and reflect on how great is the debt that we fallen humans owe to Almighty God. Just think of the Ten Commandments which were read in our midst this morning. We certainly can't go through all of them. We don't have time for that. But let's just focus on on a couple of them for for a moment. Just think of the first commandment. The first commandment says that we are to trust God with our whole heart, that we are to trust in Him alone, that we are to submit to Him, that we are to expect all good from Him only, that we are to love, fear, and honor Him with our whole heart. 
loving God all of the time with all of our being, with all of our energy, with all of our passion, with all of our gifts and talents. That's what God asks of us in the first commandment. That's what He commands us to do, to give our whole life, everything that we are, all the time, without a break, without a pause of any kind, just consistently doing that day after day, week after week, year in and year out of our lives from birth till death. That's what the Lord asks of us. And every time we fail to be like that, we enter into death with God. We owe Him obedience. But think of the Tenth Commandment. The Tenth Commandment forbids coveting, and if we understand that commandment well, we, we know what it requires of us, that we should always be content, that we should always be thankful, that we should always be rejoicing in the life that God has given us particularly to live. Tenth Commandment requires of us that we we be willing to say all the time and and really mean it that God's grace is sufficient for us that He's put us in whatever situation we are and and with our situation He gives us the grace that is necessary to persevere and to be sustained. Well, every time we we fail to be content, every time we fail to be truly thankful, every time we fail to find God to be our all in all so much we come into debt with the Almighty. And to feel our debt perhaps even more painfully, we can remember what the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. If you think about the beginning of that amazing Sermon of our Lord Jesus, you'll remember how it starts with the Beatitudes. And in those Beatitudes, the Lord Jesus Christ describes a character with which God is pleased. He pronounces God's blessing on those who are poor in spirit, on those who mourn because of their sin. He speaks of God's favor on those who are meek, on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, on those who are merciful, pure in heart, and on all those who seek to make peace in their relationships. You know, inasmuch as we fail to live up to those virtues that are displayed in the Beatitudes, we enter into debt with God. And to make this perhaps more concrete for us, we can think of a particular website. Maybe some of you have looked at it. It's, it's a kind of a depressing website, and it will definitely disturb your rest, so maybe don't look at it on Sunday. But I'm thinking of a website called debtclock.ca. This is a website devoted to exposing how massive our national debt is as a nation. Canada. The last time I looked, which was a couple of days ago as I was thinking about the sermon, our total national debt was $560 billion. And even worse, you see on the website these numbers just spinning and the debt is increasing literally by thousands of dollars every minute. And if you go to the equivalent website for the United States of America called usdebtclock.org. Well, then I put it to you, brothers and sisters, you'll move from being mildly depressed to being terrified. The numbers are truly frightening. They stagger the imagination. For the United States of America, the total national debt is approximately $13 trillion, and it's going up by billions every day. You look at that debt and and you know that 
even with the best of intentions, even with the most utmost perseverance and austerity, this is a debt that literally can never be paid. Never will be paid. It never will be paid. It can't be paid. Well, when you listen to the law of God, when you really pay attention to what it is that Almighty God is asking of you, then, brothers and sisters, you might also, from time to time, become terrified. Because in so many uncountable ways, we are all failing to live up to the standards of the gospel. We are all failing to display the virtues of the Sermon on the Mount. We are all failing to love God with our whole heart, soul, and mind. We're all failing all the time, every day, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Just, just think about that commandment for a moment. Loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the standard. And when you don't live up to that standard, you enter into debt with God. Now, I dare say we all have learned to love our neighbors a little bit, at least. I think all of you could, could honestly point to situations in which you have sincerely displayed love for your neighbor. And that's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. But now think about how much you love yourself. Think about how devoted you are to your own comfort. Think about how careful you are to meet all of your own needs to the best of your ability. If you have a need, you meet it. If you're hungry, you go and eat something. If you're thirsty, you get water. If you're cold, you put on a sweater. If you're tired, you go to sleep. You have needs, and, and just by nature, you're devoted to meeting your needs. And the Lord Jesus says in the summary of the law that you ought to be as devoted to the needs of your neighbor as you are to your own. As soon as you hear that, you realize how far we have to go before the love of Christ fully controls us. Because there isn't a person in this room who, who remotely loves their neighbors as much as they naturally love themselves. And so as you think about these requirements of God, these standards that the Lord has set in place for us, you realize how huge your debt is. In a thousand lifetimes of righteous living, we could never pay back to God what we owe. And so now you see how bold this petition really is. How bold it is, brothers and sisters, when you just go to your Father in heaven, who's the judge of all the earth and has the ultimate debt clock, if you will, who's, who's known every one of your sins from the beginning of your life, and you just say to him, Father in heaven, please cancel my debt. Please wipe it away. Just wipe it away. Erase from your ledger every failure of obedience to you. Blot out every failure of love for my neighbor. I ask you to imagine, congregation, the audacity it would take on your part to, to walk into your local credit union or your bank place where you maybe have a mortgage or some other kind of loan and just walk in there and ask to see the manager who deals with your account. And when he comes into the room, you say that you have a request and your request is that, that the bank would just cancel your debt, that you would no longer have a mortgage. Anybody ever try that? Pretty sure some of you have dreamt of doing that, but actually doing that, just going to the bank like, that would be so audacious. It would be unheard of. No one's ever done that. I'm sure you don't know a single person who's ever gone to the bank and, and said, you know those $200,000 that, 
that my wife and I owe. Could you just blot that out, please? Well, that's what we're doing when we go to God. We owe God this astronomical debt. Really, it's an infinite debt, and it, it grows every day. You can just see the numbers turning, just like on the, on the websites I mentioned. And we say, Father in heaven, and mercy and compassion, please blot it out. Just get rid of it for us, please. And then wonder of wonders. Unlike your bank manager, I'm sure, your Father in heaven says, yes, I will do that. I will just blot it out. You don't even have to wait. I'll do it right now. No paperwork involved. There's no other requirements. Just ask, and I will indeed cancel your debt. As Psalm 32 says, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Or as we say in Psalm 103, as far as east is from west removed, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And consider also the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2. In verse 13 and 14 of that chapter, he's talking about the work of our Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And this is what he writes. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Notice again the word cancel, having canceled the written code. And notice also how the Apostle Paul makes abundantly clear how it was possible for the Lord God to just simply cancel the debt of his children as often as they requested of him. What made that possible was Jesus Christ coming to take that that written code with all the debt built into it, he took it and he nailed it to the cross and dealt with it once and for all. And so when Jesus Christ came and taught this prayer, beloved, when he said, when you, when you pray to your Father, pray like this, say to him with, with boldness and with, with a Christian audacity, say, forgive us our debts. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ knew what it was going to cost him to make that prayer possible. It was going to cost him his life. It was going to cost him the cross and the anguish of being exiled from his father. It would cost him the outer darkness. It would cost him being forsaken. He was forsaken so that the bond that was against us might be canceled. Having seen then something of the boldness of this petition, Let's go on to look at the stipulation that comes along with it. Sometimes we struggle with the stipulation that comes along with this fifth petition. It reads like this, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. How does that fit really together? Is Christ saying in this stipulation that God's Forgiveness, in some way, is based on our forgiving attitude. And if that's true, then can we really still speak of the doctrine of free grace? If God's actions for us 
to save us and to restore us depend on anything we do, then the gospel has become a conditional gospel and no longer the gospel of free and sovereign grace. Really, if there are conditions built into the gospel, then it really isn't the gospel. Then it's not the good news anymore. And so we have to dig into this a little bit more and and understand in what way, in fact, these words really are a stipulation. Maybe the best way to do this is to imagine a certain scenario in your life. And I'll I'll share one scenario, and, and you can maybe flesh it out with experiences you've had. Imagine that you've had some kind of a quarrel with someone. Maybe it was a business partner. Maybe it was your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, someone at school in your class. And and there's real animosity now between the two of you. And when you walk past each other, it's awkward. And you are really, really mad at this person because they've done something wrong. They've perhaps gossiped about you. They've told other people untruths about you. They've shafted you in business. They've done you some kind of an injustice. And you have every right to be aggrieved. And you're fuming about it. You're thinking negative thoughts about this person and, and sometimes in, in darker moments you're fantasizing about ways of getting even. And one of the ways of getting even, of course, is to, to give them the cold shoulder when you see them, even on the church parking lot maybe. And you don't call them anymore. You're not going to call them anymore. No more socializing with so-and-so. Someone has hurt you deeply in whatever way. And that person deserves to be miserable. That person deserves to pay the price. And therefore, you're not going to be nice. But in the meantime, you carry on with your ordinary devotional life. You fold your hands and you pray maybe three times a day. And you might even use the words of the Lord's Prayer. You might even still say, even as you're harboring all of this resentment, you might still say, Father in heaven, Forgive me my sins. And now I ask you the question. Is it possible, really, to sincerely, from the heart, ask God to forgive you while you're not ready to forgive your neighbor? I'm not asking if you should do this. I'm asking if it's possible to do this. Is it emotionally and cognitively possible to sincerely Ask God to forgive you while you are harboring resentment, anger, and all kinds of other toxic emotions toward your neighbor. Is it even possible to be operating in those two different modes? The one of dependence on the mercy of God and the other of not being merciful to someone who has aggrieved you. Well, I put it to you sincerely this afternoon, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, that It's not possible with integrity and self-knowledge to do these things simultaneously. I mean, you can do it. I'm sure lots of us have done that. We've prayed while we were at some level really, really angry with someone and harboring resentment, but we weren't really praying. Our hearts were not really open to God. And if we ask God under those circumstances to forgive our own sins, well then, at some level, we were being profoundly hypocritical. We weren't being genuine. You see, the hidden assumption in in a prayer to God for forgiveness while you're not being forgiving is that 
is that your debt with God is not really a big deal. Well, the debt your neighbor owes you is a really big deal. And clearly, if you stop and put that objectively under your doctrinal microscope, you'll see that that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that, that your debt would be less than the debt of your neighbor. And so the point then is, is not really that our Lord Jesus is saying that forgiving your neighbor is a, is a condition you must fulfill, fulfill in order to be forgiven by God. Really, the point is something different, more subtle. The point is that without forgiveness in your heart toward your neighbor, you will never be sincere in asking God to forgive your sins. Your relationship to God, your relationship to your neighbor, they are intricately woven together. You cannot separate these things. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing in this fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And so I put it to you that if it sometimes happens in your daily life that you do find it difficult to let go of the hurt and the pain that someone has caused you, if you find yourself dwelling on it for longer than is healthy, then what you need to do is think very deeply about your own relationship with God Is your relationship with God truly one that is grace-based? Are you living out of the full and free, forgiving favor of God? Because you know your unwillingness to forgive from time to time is like a barometer of where you're at with God. If you're living in fellowship with the God who says that He delights in forgiving... If you have a bond of faith with the Lord Jesus Christ who who gave Himself up even to death on a cross so that you might be forgiven, now you're in fellowship with that Savior, that Jesus, as we heard this morning. Well, then you're not going to be holding on to your grudges for more than a half an hour at the most. You're going to come to your senses and you're going to realize how, how wrong this is. Remember Peter's question in Matthew 18? Peter said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Peter thought he was being super generous. Like to forgive someone seven times? Can you imagine? That's quite something. Seven times someone has done something to to hurt you, and seven times they've come and and asked for your forgiveness, and seven times you have to say, "I, I forgive you, I restore you. Peter thought this was an incredibly rich number, seven But the Lord Jesus said, Peter, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, you might wonder where the Lord Jesus got that number from. Did he just pick it randomly from from his mind? Well, I suspect not, because nothing the Lord Jesus said was ever random. could be that the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that his mind was saturated with Holy Scripture, derived that number from the book of Genesis, chapter 4. Genesis 4 tells us about a man who was the epitome of not forgiving. His name was Lamech. Lamech was symbolic of, of, a, of a godless civilization. He was a powerful, a powerful lord and king. And he was at a certain time insulted by another man, a young man. 
He suffered some kind of an insult or injury at the hands of a young man. And he took revenge. He didn't forgive him. He took revenge and he killed him. And then he boasted about it and he said, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. In other words, people of the world, watch out. You touch me, you touch my life, you do anything to hurt me, you are going to pay for that over and over and over and over. You're never going to stop paying because you're going to die. That was the attitude of Lamech. And that's been the attitude of a lot of powerful people in the world ever since. And you see, that's the normal way. The normal way to respond to wrongs done to us, whether real or imagined, is to pay back the one who has wronged us. And this turns into a game of of emotional ping-pong, if you will. Someone slaps you a wrong and you slap it right back and you just start playing this emotional ping-pong, throwing barbs and insults. And what happens is resentment festers and wounds grow worse. And eventually you get to the point where you can't even imagine being reconciled anymore. Can't even imagine ever being close to your spouse again. Can't even imagine ever loving your your fellow Christian again because you've become so estranged through that ping pong that you've been playing. But Christ said, do away with all of that. Even as Lamech threatened a 77-fold vengeance, Peter, I say to you, you practice a 77-fold forgiveness. In other words, you never stop. There's no limit to it. You don't ever stop forgiving. You never come to the end of forgiveness. And that's true in marriage. That's true in family life. That's true in church life. That's true in school. That's true in the world. You never get to the point where you say, I'm done forgiving you. Forget it, buddy. I'm done forgiving you. I'm not going to forgive you anymore. Now, there's more to be said about this, and that would be something to deal with in another sermon. We don't, we don't make ourselves doormats, and if we're caught in abusive situations, we, we don't stay there. We have to find a place of safety, and sometimes that means leaving and breaking off relationships, whether temporarily or permanently, just so that you can actually live. So being forgiving doesn't mean that you're ready to, to always be a doormat and have people trample all over you and be a victim over and over and over. But that really is a topic for another day. The point is, even when people have victimized you, even when they've abused you in awful ways, physically and verbally, or perhaps even sexually, when they've done that, you still need to reach that point by the power of God where you can say, I forgive you. And what that means is I let go of my anger. I let go of my desire to avenge myself. I, I let go of, of any need to get even or to, to humiliate you who have done this to me. And even if reconciliation can't happen because of the unwillingness of the other, you can still forgive. And so give glory to God. And you know when you do that, when you forgive someone, someone who's maybe even your enemy, someone who's done you no end of trouble, and you just say, look, I forgive you. It's over. I don't want to talk about it anymore. You know, that might be the one time in that person's life when they really taste something of the marvel of the kingdom of God with all the mercy that the Lord pours out. And that's why Jesus says in his word that we should love even our enemies and that we should bless those who curse us and that we should pray for those who persecute us. We should do that so that through us, 
they might taste and see that God is good. And so we may see in conclusion, brothers and sisters, indeed, that God has so arranged affairs in the world, He so arranged our lives, that love for Him cannot be separated from love for our neighbor. And so let us therefore boldly pray the prayer Jesus taught us. Let us pray for what God has promised, complete forgiveness, and let us boldly offer to our neighbors that same priceless gift that God has bestowed on us. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.